Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sink, swim, or fly. Adam Holtquist. Hey, hey. What's up, dude? How you doing? Good. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I don't think I've seen. I saw you riding your bike in the neighborhood. Like I don't know the motorized one. Uh, I don't know. It had big it had big wheels. I'm not sure if it was the motorized <laughs> one or not. But I, 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 I messaged got... you. I messaged you when I got home that day. Like, hey, were you riding your bike over by the park today? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that was me. And I think that's the only time I've really seen you since you've been back from since before you were away. Yeah. It uh. I went on a little bit of a vacation, <laughs> but yeah, the, I, I got like all super into, soon, like I went to rehab and all that shit, and then yeah. I got clean, and then uh, my mind was like, like searching for new hobbies, yeah, hence like, podcasts and all this. But uh, right. like the vintage bike, I was like super obsessed for like six weeks, right, on and, all the message and I, boards. I, yeah, I saw I saw all your posts about getting like the. <laughs> Like the Pee Wee Herman bike and, yeah. and all of that stuff, and like, oh, cool, he's got he's got something to work on. That's good. I ended up buying one locally, and then uh, and I paid out for a little a little bit. Like I put some cash down for it. Sure. And I thought it was super cool. And then it came to a point where I was like, the winter's coming. Like I need some other <laughs> shit. Do I really need this crazy vintage bike? So I put it on a couple of like the the super heavy nerd sites. Yeah. And dude, it was like. How much do you want for the ornament on the hood? How much do you want? Oh, for? nice. Yeah, so I sold that shit real quick. Well, that's that's the great thing about the internet is like whatever your weird n- niche nerdy enthusiasm, yeah. there's an internet community for it. Yeah, I and I I didn't realize that like I was talking to my girlfriend about it. I was like, I want to you know maybe sell some shit, and she was kind of like, uh, good luck. Yeah. And then I was like, dude, that's that bike sold for like six hundred bucks in like ten minutes. That's nice. <laughs> She's like, holy shit! Yeah, I've been like, trying. I've been trying to downsize too because, like, for a long time, I like, I just accumulated music and never got rid of it. So, like, I've been buying CDs and accumulating CDs since I was like, I don't know, twelve or thirteen. Yeah, and just never got rid of anything. And they m- went through like multiple moves with me and stuff. And I finally got to the just point. the CD compact disc. Yeah, well, I'm vinyl too, but I, I'm not, I'm not really getting rid of vinyl. But I finally got to the point with CDs where it's like, you know, th- these don't all need to continue to be precious objects in my life. I can let some of these go because, like, kids are getting bigger, house isn't getting any bigger, yeah. and it's like, how much room were we talking? How much space was this taking up? Oh, I got, or I had um, three pretty big racks full of CDs that are are the ones that hold like I don't know a thousand or twelve hundred a piece so wow. I had I had easily I had easily three thousand CDs and I've sold I don't I don't know how many I've sold at this point I've sold several hundred of them do you, and, do you do like an like exchange um no I've been them? mostly doing it online through discogs oh, which nice. is sort of like sort of like I mean it's just basically just a record and CD and you know, music media listing site. That's cool. So kind of sorted through like the stuff that's collectible, but I don't necessarily need to keep. And then there's tons of stuff that I've, I've put lists of like, 
here, somebody take this for a dollar. Yeah. So I've got like, you know, a couple hundred of those still sitting on shelves and in stacks and stuff that I'm yeah. sorting through. But, you know, I'm at, I'm at the point where it's like, you know, you spend a bunch of years just sort of acquiring stuff and uh, like music gear too. It's, it's like, I, I get all these things. It's like, oh, that's cool. I'll do something with that someday. And I don't. I still have a bunch of stuff in my parents' basement like that. Like, oh, an old 12-string <laughs> that I forgot about. Or, like, an old mandolin. Like, And I look back at all of it. I'm like, damn, I got a bunch of random shit. Yeah. Well, and that's part of – I think that's part of what prompted it for me, too, is my parents moved. So all the stuff that was in their basement, they dumped all that shit on me. You got to get your shit out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, here, here, I got six boxes of your stuff. I'm bringing it to you next time we see you. I'm like, well, I don't really want it. So, you know, I just <laughs> – yeah, they just brought me like two more boxes like uh, in the last month or two and it's got like all my baseball cards from when I was like 10, 11, 12 in it and and those I'll keep or at least yeah. mostly keep because has all that stuff lost its value for the oh, most yeah. part? Oh yeah. Yeah, mostly. I mean, there's still some stuff. I mean, baseball cards, there's still some stuff that's got some value, but it like it was so overvalued for so long yeah. because they, they were these mass produced things that sort of had this arbitrary artificial value attached to them and then yeah. at some point somebody kind of woke up and went you what? made 17 million of those why is it worth 12 dollars <laughs> and the bottom just completely fell out of like all but the really old and rare and collectible it's kind of how it is with comic books too right yeah which which most of my stuff is not super old or super rare or super collectible like i tried I don't – they're not complete, but I tried to get I'm – a, I'm a Pirates fan, so I tried to get, like, all the World Series years of the Pirates cards. So, like, some of the 60s ones and stuff like that. Pirates was, like, the team. Yeah. Um, you know, some of those – there's few enough of them surviving in good shape that some of that stuff still got some value. But, like, anything after, like – I mean, anything from when yeah. we were kids is, like – Although, you know, later on when we were kids is when they started making the, like, super limited edition. This has, like, this scrap of jersey embedded in the card stuff. And I never got into all of those. But those those actually are, like, oh, we only made, you know, 43 of these or whatever. But I, I never really got into that super, <laughs> super collectible stuff because that was about the time that I kind of lost interest in sports anyway. Yeah. I never, as a kid, I never really had anything. I remember having some baseball cards and, like, I think at one point somehow either my dad or had like a Hank Aaron rookie. You oh know? wow, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was I don't know what. At some point I thought it was valuable, and then we had like some X Men comics laying around that were supposed to be super valuable at some point, and then nobody knows where they went. Um, yeah. But I I was never into collecting much, and even through like college years, I'd acquire stuff and then sell it, and then of course like with drugs and shit, sometimes yeah. you sell everything you have. But now, I don't know what it is now that I'm, like, in my 30s, mm -hmm. this level of nostalgia, like, all the 90s stuff. I want to, like, like, we, were, me and my son were watching Garfield, like, the remake. Oh, uh-huh. And I was like, this is trash. We oh, need, it's terrible. We, we need to watch the original. And he's like, <laughs> why? He's like, why is everything so blurry? He's like, I can't, like, really you're, see. You're talking, like, the weird, creepy CGI Garfield? <laughs> yeah. I can't stand the weird, creepy CGI Garfield. I like all the old shit. Yeah. But my son's just like, why is it blurry? And I'm like, that's how TV was when I was <laughs> When I was your age, everything was blurry. It was a blurry world, man. It is crazy. Um, But, yeah, with, with music stuff now, I've sold so much killer gear. Yeah. That, like, now, I, even if it, I just want to hold on to some of that or acquire some of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got I kind of got to the point where, like, 
it's kind of a nice kind of zen point to be at where I don't feel like I want much. Like I've kind of got enough of simplify most things to do what I need. I don't have a whole lot of I've tried to like slim down the extraneous stuff where it's like I've got this piece of gear that I'll do something with someday. Like I had a I had a reel to reel tape recorder. It was actually it was Kurt Salman's reel to reel tape recorder uh, that Isn't I got that, after did he purple jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, and I've got a, actually a couple pieces of Kurt's gear, some of which I've held on to, but that was one that I did let go of. But I had his broken reel to reel tape recorder. How old? How old is it? It's probably late seventies, early eighties. Now, can you plug like m- modern mics into that? I think it's got. I mean, I've it, I've let it go now, so it's gone from my possession at oh. this point. But um, yeah, I think it has like RCA ins that you could like run, like out of a mixer like this. You'd you'd need to yeah. like run a mixer into it. It's not a multi track. It's just a regular like a like a cassette recorder, but but on reel to reel. I've seen like the Sony kits from back in the day, oh, uh-huh. and there yeah, was yeah. one my buddy uh, had. It was supposedly one that Dylan had done a record on. Oh, okay. And it wasn't super, super valuable, mm-hmm. but it was one of the mass-produced, like, uh, consumer ones that were, like, pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, But And we tried to set it up one day, but the mics were shot. Oh, and okay. And I didn't have anything capable of, like, getting a decent... Getting the signal up to the level it needed to be or Yeah, whatever. or get, like, a decent modern condenser into it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't try too hard, but... I thought it it would be so cool even to do like a five six track acoustic live thing on some reel to reel just to be like oh here's some shit on reel to reel oh yeah well and I and I kind of thought like oh I can think of cool things to do with this if I can make it work yeah but it's such a project like I I take on these things that are like I'm not acquiring an object I'm acquiring a future project for myself <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have time for the projects I'm already doing like let alone like stuff that I'm taking on to try and absolutely salvage this object that i might do something with someday yeah i I just got like i just got this these mics and this podcast set up yeah and we were talking before we started how it like it transfers over to obviously like music oh sure and the simple shit that i do acoustic and guitar it's cool for that because i can do all sorts like you know this is portable and it doesn't necessarily need power um if I had, like, one of those little power boxes, you know, like, charging port boxes. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, like, and then I recently just got one of the cheap GoPros. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, like, a knockoff 4K one. Right, sure. But you could do, if you use, like, enough filters, you could do some cool, like, artsy videos. Oh, definitely. And so I've got all these ideas and plans, but it does really take, like, okay, today I'm going to do that shit. Because everything does just does turn into a project. Right. You know? Well, and, I mean, if you're a guy with just a vocal mic and a guitar and you got a two channel interface like the two channel interface yeah. you've got you know you can you can multi-track yourself and be able to do some mixing and post and stuff mm-hmm. and like like I was saying to you like I've I've got an interface it's the like the rack mount version and that's basically the the brains of my live setup my solo setup and depending how how much or how little I've got things together and got extra time to get things configured I've I've had live shows that I've done where I've just like fired up my multi-track recording environment and just multi-track the whole set. And that's uh, one wayness, right? You're right. Yeah, what is that? What is that setup? Because I don't think that I've ever seen you solo. Really? And it's okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's. Um. I mean, it varies. Like it. It kind of flexes depending, depending on the environment and depending on what the bill is like and what kind of set I feel like playing. I mean, I've always, I've pretty much always got 
my rack with my audio interface and my laptop, and I've got a modular synthesizer that I bring out sometimes. It's almost like DJing, but with like toys. Um, not really, because it's not really any pre-prepared material. All it's right all on. it's all basically created on the spot. Like there's some like the only really pre-recorded stuff is I've got like some loops of like field recordings and spoken word stuff that I'll drop in but almost um, use them as like samples yeah so I've got some samples that I drop in sometimes but it's not really any no programmed synth stuff no sequenced anything no programmed beats or anything like that I guess I, there, there's sometimes that I'll you know just you know loop something and drop yeah. it in but uh, yeah it's pretty much all created on the fly a lot of improv. Yeah, a lot of improv. I mean, I I've got. Like to, I, I can't believe that I haven't. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that you haven't. I feel like I, I feel like we've seen each other so much that surely you have at some point, <laughs> but maybe not. I got into that shitty for the last several years. I was just like playing my own shows, and didn't really see a lot of bands, national or local people or anything. Kind of was in this box of yeah. like. No, I get I get that for sure because like it's really hard for me and for you too. I mean with having a family and having kids and trying to play your own shows and trying to, you know, work and live your life and stuff. It's, it's tough to make time to get out and see anybody else and even, you know, support friends and friends bands and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't have a show this weekend. (laughs) I'm going to sleep for 12 hours. Yeah. Or I'm going to, um, you know, watch some Netflix. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, that's, it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all the dishes that I didn't do at all last weekend because I had four gigs in three days and stuff like that. So, yeah, I I get that for sure. Like, I actually ended up, like, I was in Pittsburgh for work for most of the week a couple weeks ago, and it ended up that, like, multiple friends of mine who happened to be on tour were coming through Pittsburgh while I was there. And it's like, I'm here in a hotel room with no responsibilities Did until tomorrow. Did you catch tomorrow. a show? I got two shows. I got wow. a show on Tuesday and another show on Wednesday. Pittsburgh, I lived there for six or seven years. Yeah, and I—that's the I caught so many bands. Like you'd look in the uh, city paper. Oh sure, and be like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like three bands that I really dig are going to be in the city for twelve bucks this week. Right, or whenever shit's got more expensive now. Yeah, and, um, and like there were crazy. yeah, like the one night that I was there, there were like three or four shows that I would have gone to see any of, and sure. I kind of. I mean, I lived in Pittsburgh for a while too because I went to Pitt, so I you know went to school down there and then lived down there for. Do you live in Oakland? Afterwards. Mostly, yeah. I lived I lived kind of all over Oakland, and then lived on the north side for a little bit right before I left there and moved back. But yeah, like you know, living in Erie, it's like there's, there's a lot of stuff to do in Erie, but there you, is you kind of lose perspective of how much more there is to do other places sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, how how good some people in other places have it as far as being spoiled with options of stuff to go see and stuff for like sure. that. For sure. When I lived, I lived in Columbus, Ohio, too, for a while. Mm-hmm. And that city is just, it's, they called it for a while like the Portland of the East. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much shit going on and music and open mics. And Erie does, you're right, Erie does have a lot going on. But on a scale of like compared to a city like that, yeah, maybe not so much. See, it, it's taken me a really hard, long time to feel like I've got a handle on Columbus. Like I've been through there a few times and played there, I guess three or four times now. And it's just like the first couple times I came through Columbus, like I, I was like I played there, but I didn't really feel like I'd been there or seen yeah. anything or done anything. And like you, you get around and go to lots of 
towns and play shows in different places. And there's some places where it's like you come into town and it's like, okay, I see how everything works. I can tell where everything's at. I got the vibe of this place. And like Columbus, the first two or three times I went there had like no vibe for me, like in a positive or negative way. It's just sort of like it's oh, here we are. just there. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and then and then the last time the last time I went through it was I had a little bit more time to spend there. Like I got there earlier in the day and had a little bit more time to explore and I got a little bit better sense for it, I think. But Columbus is so sprawling. It's pretty stretched out too. Yeah, and like it goes so far in every direction. Like there's no it's it's kinda got that state capital thing that all state capitals have where you got like downtown is where all the government stuff is, which isn't necessarily yeah. where all the hip cool stuff is. Like right there on campus, like is that what you're talking about? And then it stretches beyond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. there. Yeah, there's that. But like the what looks like the middle of town isn't where the center of activity For is. For sure, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Columbus at one point, I guess, was like the fastest growing city in the U.S. too, and that was. I think right around I graduated high school, 05. Like, okay. Tons of my friends are moving to Columbus, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd go up there and visit a lot. But it's been a while since I've been to Columbus. Cincinnati's another one of those cities that's strange Yeah, that I've been to, uh, and you can basically see Kentucky. You know, it's right there. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's Cincinnati. I've been to Cincinnati a couple times, too, and, like, the first time it reminded me of, like, a flat Pittsburgh because yeah, it like, does have a downtown like that. The, the, the downtown is kind of the same. They're both on the river. The stadiums are laid out right on the river the same way. And it's like if you just took all the hills in Pittsburgh and squashed them down, Cincinnati <laughs> kind of looks like that. Except the south side happens to be in Kentucky. Yeah, I just I thought I've always thought about Pittsburgh as like a gritty city. Yeah, you know, like uh, it's basically a fucking city just drilled into the side of a mountain. <laughs> like, you know, and it's, they get harsh yeah. winters and it's a river town and uh, a lot of blue collar. Sure. I, I loved, I loved Pittsburgh when I lived up there. Now, when did you live there? Um, oh, I graduated in 05, went to uh, our institute of Pittsburgh, like the summer of 05. Oh, okay. I went up like early summer quarter. Yeah. And then uh, I ended up dropping out like two years later and lived there till about 2010. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was on, I lived in, um, on the north side in Allegheny, the two towers there. Oh, yeah, in Allegheny Center. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if that's even still a place. I know that's not it's, affiliated with Art Institute anymore. Yeah, I mean, the the, the the buildings are still there. I don't know what they're using it for anymore. Maybe apartments or something. Yeah, I'm like, I, I know I parked there once. Like kind of ghetto. Yeah, and I, I, lived, <laughs> I lived like two blocks up around the corner from there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, on... Uh, Arch Street, like just north of North North Street, North Avenue, whatever it is. And then I remember, because I come from a small farm town in Ohio, uh-huh. like about an hour and 20 under Columbus there. And uh, I lived, I, I had visited um, bigger cities and went to concerts, but it was kind of like in and out. Right. Like no experience, really just kind of caught a show, left, whether like my parents were driving us or not. Um, but... Basically, I got dropped off in Pittsburgh. Like, have a nice semester. <laughs> Good luck. And then we were wondering. I met some kids at the school. Yeah. And then, uh, like, I had met my roommate at orientation. Okay. And so I had known him. But, yeah, we kind of wondered. And he was from some small town yeah. in uh, Pennsylvania. And we kind of wandered over to East Ohio Street with oh, all yeah. the pawn shops and, like, the bars over the windows. Uh-huh. People were like, hey, you want some crack? I'm like, <laughs> man, where? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, yeah, Pittsburgh was a culture shock to me. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, well, my my roommate my freshman year at Pitt was Sean Clark, who I know. you Oh know. yeah, and he and I went to high school together, and I never knew that. Yeah, and um, yeah, we went to we went to McDowell together, and then we ended up being roommates our freshman year at Pitt. Was that planned? Uh, it was planned. It wasn't planned like all along, but it was like late our senior year of high school. It's like, hey, you're going to pit. Hey, you're going to Let's pit. It up. That would be fun. We might as well do that because like we had done like theater stuff together in high school, and like we were in chorus together in high school and stuff, and we hung out on okay. a bunch of trips and stuff like that. And we I knew- didn't even know he went to pit. Uh, cool. He didn't. He didn't finish there. He spent I think two years there, and then ended up at NYU. Um, oh wow! But. Uh, yeah, like he was going to Pitt having never visited there. Like he just sort of like Here we are. blindly signed up, <laughs> like never been on campus. I think he probably had been to Pittsburgh for something or other, but I mean, he's from yeah. he's from out in the boonies of Waterford. And so, I mean, not that he not that he didn't go to cities and stuff, but like yeah, he he kind of had the same experience of it's like It's kind of a big city. Arrived in Pittsburgh, yeah. not really knowing it at all, or you know where he was going or who he was. Apart from me, yeah, you're his lifeblood. <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, what'd you go to school for? Uh, I went to school for chemical engineering. Wow, is that tied into what you do now? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, I'm doing more kind of environmental stuff now. Um, so what, what do you do, if you don't mind me asking? I work for the state. I work for DEP, for Department of, Envir- the Department of Environmental Protection. Wow. Um, work in the air quality program and do uh, permitting and inspections and stuff like that. You're a smart dude. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, so what's like, if you don't mind, what's like an average day for you? It's like an office setting? Yeah, it's mostly an office setting. I get out... Um, you know, I'm mostly in the office working on permits, writing permits and stuff, reviewing applications and, and things like that. I do get out uh, a couple times a month at least. Yeah, in the field kind of. Yeah, and we've got 14 counties that we handle out of our office, so it's basically the the whole northwest corner of the state. we got six regional offices in the state, and so we go over as far. That's a big, that's a big boy job. <laughs> it is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've been there. It's It's coming up on 12 years now. I've been there a long time. Um, but yeah, we got 12 counties, so we get down as far as like Lawrence County, Butler County, and then over as far as like McKean County, Elk County, sort of getting towards the north central part of the state. So and then the group I'm in, I'm, we're in the air quality program, and then so the the group I'm in is called New Source Review. So anytime anybody's wanting to do anything new, um, you know, build a new, either build a new facility or build a new line or a new process or a new source at their facility we handle all the new stuff so whatever whatever new stuff we permit we go out and do at least an initial inspection and it's like hey did you did you do the things you told us we were going to do have you done all the stuff that we told you you were required to do and is everything in compliance with everything it's supposed to be in compliance with and then wow then we've got uh, an operations group that we hand it off to from there who kind of handles the ongoing. We'll go out and do yearly inspections and stuff like that. And that is, like, for environmental, like, impact? Yeah, basically. Yeah, um, yeah on, on the air side. So, you know, any sort of air pollutants or yeah. or anything like that. And, you know, we make decisions about, you know, what kind of, what kind of control devices they're going to install to – Limit their emissions and reduce emissions and stuff like that. And uh, we d- we do a lot of 
we have a lot of enforcement for EPA too, um, EPA being the federal agency and then we're the state agency, but we basically got delegation for a lot of their stuff where um, it's their regulations, but we're the ones who put them into permits and then actually enforce them. And then they're just kind of our, they're just kind of our backup and they're kind of some oversight over us for anything that the federal stuff applies to, which is mostly the bigger places. Does that federal, now I'm not, I know some of this is like political. Yeah. And I kind of uh, just in the last year or two started paying attention to what was going on. But does does that restriction like loosen and tighten up depending on like who's president and like on the federal level? Uh, yes and no. I mean, like I just saw this like uh, Trump has lifted. Oh, he's rolling back, whatever, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, in theory, yes, but. As far as the current administration goes, they're really bad at it. Like the stuff that they're trying to roll back, they're so ineffective at even rolling it back that it's taking so long to. Does that matter state to state too, probably, huh? uh, To a certain extent, yeah. I mean, there's the EPA, the federal stuff, it it pretty much applies everywhere. Although there's, there's certain things that it's like, depends what, where your particular state is at as far as in relation to, I mean, I'm going down work rabbit hole now, but there's national ambient air quality standards, which is like, these are the standards that we want all the air in the country to meet. And if the air in your state or your particular part of your state is doing okay, then you kind of fall into one category where it's like, you're doing great, we don't wanna make it worse. But then if you're already out of compliance, then it's like, okay, you're you're doing even worse. We need to really buckle down and get you caught up and get you back where you're supposed to be. So so that's that's kind of the part that varies state to state and wow. even from – is different in our end of the state than it is in, like, Pittsburgh area and Philadelphia area. Yeah, it seems like a lot of – Dude, with all the like the global warming and and not it doesn't exist and then uh all the political angles and all that yeah and i mean the on the global warming and side i can't pretend to act like i know what you're talking about for the most part oh that's okay <laughs> yeah the global warming side it's like epa tried to put some stuff out to regulate co2 and regulate greenhouse gases a couple of years ago and it it wasn't the current administration wasn't a Trump thing or any of that, but it got a lot of industry groups appealed it and they got a lot of it rolled back and I get why they rolled it back, but you know, it's, they tried to do something and, um, you know, a lot of it got, a lot of it got kind of pushed back, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. So, I, I think you're a smart dude, and we'll get into the, the Jeopardy stuff because I know you're <laughs> the, the Jeopardy stuff. Yeah, you, yeah, which I find super the, cool. Um, <laughs> and when I was doing this podcast with Luke Kuzmish, oh, uh-huh. he's like, "We got to get Adam Holquist on the show." He's like, "The only bastard I know that did Jeopardy." I'm like, "I know <laughs> he would be interesting to have on here." And then I would just thinking about what you do for a living, and then your degree, and then you are a super intelligent dude. Oh, thanks. Which I think is just like universally known around here. But um, what not to go down the rabbit hole here, but uh, you th- you, what do you think about global warming? Oh, it's real. And do you think it's like what to what effect 
is it real? Like you've got people like, okay, it's a hoax. And then you've got people that are like on the other end, like really pushing the doom and gloom for like financial benefit, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think. But somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think it's open to interpretation, like how bad things will get, how quickly, Mm -hmm. but and I mean, there's there's no denying that there is a component of it that's natural, and you know things go, you know temperatures go through cycles and stuff like that. But th- it's what is happening is definitely beyond natural fluctuation. You know, there's definitely for sure, you know, a a man-made component to it. And I wonder how dangerous how dangerous it is for somebody at the level of the president to be like, oh, it's a hoax. Wow, it's real danger. <laughs> <laughs> but you have so many people, like, and and I've read a lot of articles and stuff, and uh, within the last year or two, like I said, it's become interesting to me. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've listened to a lot of podcasts yeah, with, with, like, scientists, um, all sorts from you know, one end to the other. And it's it's so crazy that, that people are on such opposite spectrums. Like, it's a total hoax. And, like, hey... We've got like negative time yeah. before this is real detrimental to people in general. So, and, it, and it's weird that like in a in a time and place like now, where we have so much information at our disposal, that that can be such a blurry line. Yeah. Well, and people who you know quote unquote don't believe in science are just kind of confusing to me because it's like. It's like not believing in gravity. You know, gravity is a theory, too. But you can't just say you don't believe in it and it stops happening. You know, it's... Yeah, it's absurd. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it it turns into, like, a linguistic and semantic thing for people when they throw around, like, oh, it's just a theory. Well, Theory to a scientist doesn't mean, like, oh, I've got an idea. Theory means, you know, I've got an idea is, is a hypothesis. Yeah. And like, no, we've got this explained and we've got this tested out and it works. That's when that becomes a theory. Yeah, and it's so... so it, just, it just sort of becomes a thing where, you know, the way we in everyday language talk about what one word means doesn't isn't the same as what it means to somebody in the community that actually knows about this. So, For sure. you know, what they're, what they're trying to tell us is not what people are getting out of it. And some people are just being willfully ignorant about it too. For sure. Um, I, I come from a family that's like super Christian and uh, oh. it, I've actually, I'm not going to mention who, but I've had like family members actually say like, you know, Donald Trump is Christ appointed to save us from ourselves. And it's it's hard to have conversations like that with people about anything. And I'm no, my, you know, my face palming right now makes for great <laughs> audio. And I'm not uh obviously not a scientist, right? And just kind of gathering opinions from all this random shit. But I think things get so political mm-hmm. that like there's science scientists out there that have nothing to do with politics. And they're like, I don't give a shit. You know, this is what it is. Yeah. And it just seems like when that information is, is, you know, used by politicians on one way or another, it's like, okay, you missed the whole point. Right. Like, this is just a scientific issue that has nothing to do with right or left. 
Well, there's there's a thing that Neil deGrasse Tyson said that I'd like to use for things like this, and the thing he said was the great thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. Exactly. He I've seen a bunch of podcasts with him and Rogan. Yeah. He's uh, I I really appreciated that dude and and the things he had to say. Yeah, he's a super I mean smart he's fella. he's got his he's got his issues and he's got his stuff about him that's come out lately that's not the greatest. But is it like the uh, he got me tooed a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, reading about it, it's like oh oh Neil, oh honey. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that from him. <clears throat> and then and then that kind of well, and but but it's you know a part of it is sort of oh honey. <laughs> <laughs> It's sort of him having really awkward interactions with women in a way that you can totally expect uh, an astrophysicist to have awkward interactions like with just women. Bizarre. Not to, you know, stereotype, stereotype scientists or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, it's – I mean, it goes it, – it's some of it definitely goes beyond awkward, but some of it it's like, oh – you're just not good at this, are you? <laughs> is he going to lose his job for that shit? Um, he works at NASA, right? I don't know who he works for. I, I mean, think at one point, either he did or or does or used to, but like, yeah, he worked at NASA. I yeah, I I don't know. I I think there. I think he got disinvited to some things, and some people kind of have backed away from him a little bit. But I don't know that he's had any any major like fall out to his livelihood or anything like that dude that me too thing is like Mm -hmm. it got so the one that was like killed me was like louis ck oh yeah because i fucking love louis ck and not to jump from topic to topic but i and obviously he did that whatever he did oh and he he owned up to doing whatever he did (laughs) yeah the real fucked up thing was though that he talked about that kind of stuff in like stand-up specials yeah and it was just like oh man like that comes becomes so real, and now yeah. you look super dark, bro. Yeah, it was not a good look for him. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people haven't been real, haven't been real happy about the way he's handled himself in the aftermath of that too. Which I don't know. I don't have. I haven't followed. I mean, I don't follow the stand-up comedy scene heavily enough to know yeah. about it. But you know, he's kind of. It, from what I from what I hear about it, he's been sort of welcomed back to clubs and the stand up world without really having to address it very much. Yeah, um, which you know, he seemed like he kind of because I I'm super into stand up, but I, as, this specific topic, I don't know if there's been a lot said, but I know that he has come out and done some shows, and they're not they're thinking like what had happened is not really going to affect. Yeah, like show turnouts and stuff. He was just kind of like taking some time off and hoping it kind of disappears a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but not it almost, addressing it. It almost kind of seemed like he was just kind of waiting for it to blow over. Yeah, which dude, that kind of happens now. Like the way information is, co- like it blasts you for like three days. Yeah, and then something that was huge like three months ago. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I forgot we were all really <laughs> pissed off about that for three yeah, weeks. Yeah, what the fuck? I'm supposed to be super pissed at him. Well, it's like there's so much. Even with, I mean, not to not to get back on politics again, but like there's just this like there's just such a constant stream of things that everything is more ridiculous than the last thing and it's like you can't even it's really weird you can't even keep a grip on the thing that you were upset about last week because it's like oh wait there's more oh and there's another thing 
oh, and wait till you hear this thing. And it just turns into this sort of like outrage fatigue after a while. <laughs> and then you have like day one, like Trump should be murdered. <laughs> and then you had like, we're going to support him to the bitter end. Right. And there's just no middle ground. Right. When you have those two views. Right. You know, so like you have one article that's just like crazy, like negative, blah, 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 blah. And then the op- opposite way, like, no, he's a saint. And right. there's no middle ground, and people become completely oblivious and like blocking out any information that doesn't fit their specific point of view. And I think that's how a lot of things are becoming. Well, and, and it's I mean, like, I, it's weird to watch. Yeah. And well, see. I, I read a poll earlier this week that it said I don't remember the exact number, but it, I think it was something like something like 62 percent of Trump supporters basically said that they would continue to support him no matter what came out. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you have an intelligent conversation with somebody who is that entrenched in, so dedicated to one person's beliefs, no matter what happens? Yeah, and and so like, you know, I think there's something to be said for, you know, you you support somebody, and you know what what ends up coming out kind of lets you down and you were like yeah I supported this guy and yeah that was maybe a bad idea and I was maybe wrong about that and some people just can't be wrong yeah exactly and and and, you know some people you know there is I've seen some buyer's remorse from people who I know were Trump supporters in 2016 that was like like, I can't do this that was like yeah I I voted for him and that was a mistake and I'm not doing that again. And you know, what I, <laughs> what I hope to get out of that was not what's happening. And no, oh, I backed the wrong horse there, but not as much of it as you might think, you know, in light of everything that we've seen in the last three years. I have a, I think, I personally think he'll probably end up getting 2020. Yeah. I just feel that way. I've just, when's the last time somebody didn't do two years? You know, it seems like a common trend over, like, um, the, what? George H.W. Bush. Yeah, what was that, like? 92. Yeah, so it seems pretty... I don't know. It, it's it, it, But it is crazy because yeah. there are people that are die hard no matter what, like you said. Yeah. And I think they're going to get him reelected again. I don't know. I feel like he's losing them, but... Well, uh, this isn't really a political podcast, just like... Well, um, it is now. <laughs> Andrew Yang, twenty twenty. <laughs> he's an he's a smart, interesting dude. He's an interesting dude, but like I'm, I've had enough of amateur politicians. He doesn't have a shot. No, he point. doesn't. But um, you know, it, the the thing like the words "career politician" get thrown around as like a negative thing. Like, oh, that guy's a career politician. We don't want him. Like, no, I I want people who are like professional at their job. Like, yeah, where I think we're opening in the door to like guys like Trump and Andrew Yang put views aside just guys that are like hopping up into the popularity yeah like because who's next dude for real kanye west (laughs) dude i i think we're i think within our lifetime it's gonna get real crazy Uh, oh it's 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 already got crazy but yeah it's people are watching um, it in other countries like it's like american idol or something yeah like they're (laughs) watching it like we watch those japanese game shows (laughs) oh man it is crazy um so yeah, politics on the back burner. Yeah, since this is now a political podcast. Well, it is election day. <laughs> yeah, local, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I honestly did not vote. Yeah, 
I did. I try and make a point of it. Um, you know, I should have. I feel bad. There's always things, and especially in these, you know, in between years where it's, you know, it's not a presidential election year. It's not even a, you know, House and Senate election year. I mean, it's just. It was like local city council. City council, um, school board, some judges. Yeah. But the thing about, like, the judges, I don't know if this is just Pennsylvania or if this is everywhere, but judges basically have no platform. Like, they can't campaign on issues at all. Like, that's a rule. That's, that's ba- yeah, it's basically, it's an election rule, at least here, that's like, if you're running for judge, you can't take a stand on, I am for this issue, I am against this issue. You basically put your resume out there, and it's basically all, like, you know, I've been a prosecutor for 25 years, and you recognize my name. So, like, one of the guys who's running for judge is Dave Ridge, Tom's brother. So. Oh, wow. He's got pretty good name recognition. Like, did you vote on all that? I I did. Yeah. I mean, there's some there's some where it's like I don't really, I don't feel fully informed on everybody who's running for all of these things. And there, you know, sometimes you do just kind of, you know, if you're me at least, sometimes you do kind of go party line on some of that stuff, or you know, pick the guy who you're familiar with, even though you know. Maybe one of the guys you're not familiar with is a better fit, but um, it's crazy because other than a few uh, people that I know personally that are running for like council, yeah, like I saw Jennifer Dennehy, yeah, she's running for school board, yeah, and I, I just basically my point is, I don't see, and I have like I think probably three thousand people from Erie on my feed, yeah, I don't really, I didn't see anything really except for like. A couple things like that, and yeah, then today it, that a bunch of people voted, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really super hot this time. There were, like there wasn't a whole lot of, well, and Erie being Erie until they're voting on weed, I guess I'll see nothing. Because <laughs> then it's like raining. Erie being Erie, at least living in the city, which you live in the city too. Um, you know, it's so the the voter base in the city is so democratic. It's like sixty forty, not even sixty forty. It's like sixty five thirty five. Wow, I didn't realize even that. Yeah. Um, so it's basically for a lot of these things, whoever won the primary back in the spring is whoever's going to win. So in a lot yeah. of things like the mayor, the mayor election and city council and stuff like that, that's that's the race that really gets the attention because there you've got the seventeen people who are trying to get the three nominations for the three slots. And then by the time it gets to November, it's like, here's your three guys for your three slots. Go ahead and pick your three. When's the last time Erie had a Republican mayor? Um, sometime in the 60s. Really? Yeah. It's been a long See, time. I moved here in like 2012. Before before Tulio, I think. Oh, I'll look it up. <laughs> well, just that, I mean, just that general, you know, timeline. Yeah. Regardless of the specifics, that's, that is, uh, I mean, we are a blue collar town, dude. Yeah. Um. I've never when I moved to Erie, um, I actually moved here into a halfway house. Oh, okay. Because that was I lived in Pittsburgh. Things got real dark for mm-hmm. me, uh, and then I I got like court relocated to Erie, which was wild. And then I was like clean and sober for five years. Yeah. And then till whatever happened, but um, I I was in this halfway house and I went to like career concepts. Okay. And they gave me a list of like. 20 shops I could work at. Yeah. And I was just like, holy fuck. 
But there is a yeah. lot of uh, there was a lot of plastic plastic shops. molding and stuff. Yeah, I, I I did that for a couple of summers when I was in college. Oh or man, p- it's parts it's of summers. Hard. It's brutal, especially in the summer. I remember what was it like Plastech? It's like you yeah. stand in this box. Don't talk to anybody. <laughs> We're gonna deliver you deodorant canisters. Pick them up. Put them in this machine in front of you, and then that's all you do for eight hours. Yeah. I remember, like, two hours in on day one, I'm like, oh, my God. I think I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> my mind just yeah, goes I made crazy. It, I made it, like, a couple of months a couple of times, and that's, you know, thankfully that was not a long-term prospect for me. But, you know, for a lot of people it is, and it's, yeah. it's hard No work. disrespect. Oh, no, not at all. Um, But – there's a lot of uh, like tooling shops. Yeah. Um, well, and I and I work in Meadville, and that's that's a huge industry in Meadville too. It's Meadville's, is that where you commute to Meadville? I every do. Day? Yeah. Um, you know, Meadville's quote unquote tool city, and a lot of that industry has has kind of taken taken a downturn in the last ten or fifteen years because a lot of it's gone overseas and a lot of it's relocated. But you know, it's still it's still a huge industry down there too. For sure. Um. All right, so I wanted to bring this up at one point in this podcast. What year you were on Jeopardy? I was. Now, what what year was it? Um, I was on. I taped um, right about this time of year in 2012, and then it was on in tw- early 2013, April 2013. I was on. So it aired in 2013. Yep. Weren't did didn't you win? I did a few episodes. I won three. Yeah. <laughs> What was that experience like, man? That's oh, crazy. It's uh it's totally trippy. Um you know, I the, I'm sure you were getting all sorts of hometown love, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh it was real cool. Like the reader did a big thing about me, which was real nice and you know, got some other like cool press and uh you know, lots of lots of people came out of the woodwork to say hi and stuff and it was cool. But um where yeah. do you have to go for the shooting of it? Uh it's in LA. It's at Sony oh. Studios in LA. They fly Cul- you down? Culver City. Uh, you have to fly yourself out. Um, they'll, they have a hotel that they hook you up with that they have like their Sony corporate rate at. Um, but you're you're on your own to get yourself out there, on your own to stay. And the idea, I think, is if you if you don't win, you get two thousand bucks for second or a thousand for third, and that's hopefully enough to at least mostly have gotten you out there and stuff. But so they basically cover. <laughs> A little bit, no matter what place you get. Yeah, they'll, but they cover it after the fact. Yeah, like you don't get paid until after your show's there. Uh, except if you're, they they shoot two days a week, and they'll shoot a week's worth on Tuesday and a week's worth on Wednesday. So they'll shoot two weeks worth in two days. And then if you're the the returning champion at the end of the Wednesday, and you need to come back for the next session, then they will fly you back the next time. Uh, they'll pick that up, but so that was three different times you had to go there. No, it was one time I had to go there, and so you there for sort of the whole entire experience. Yep. Wow. So I was there, like kicking all, it in L.A. All four, all four of my shows were taped in one afternoon. Oh shit! Yeah. So they'll tape they'll tape a week's worth on a Tuesday. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. Part. Yeah. My and bad. then another week's worth on a Wednesday. So they'll, you know, they'll start. They bring you into the studio at like. 8.30 in the morning and go through lots of paperwork and green room stuff and you get a little bit of dress rehearsal on the set to get yourself used to the signaling device and how everything works and how everything looks and stuff like that and then you um, had a streak yeah yeah I kind of <laughs> did um, you know my my third game that I won particularly I was kind of I was just kind of clicking hard in that one and then um, so you would be clicking before 
you really even process what your answer was going to be? Um, no, not re- not not often anyway. Um, and one of the things that you can't see at home is there are little lights that go on around the board when you can ring in because um, they don't actually they don't actually arm the the signaling devices until he's done reading the clue. So like you can't like you can't ring in as soon as you know what it is. You have to wait for the win- oh, okay. the I window to open to be able to ring in. So a lot of it, it's not necessarily speed. It's just reflexes and timing. Wow. That'd be crazy. Yeah, it was... Uh, was there a part of it that, like, okay, this is being filmed, it's going to be on TV, that, like, you felt fucked with your judgment, and that, like, if it wasn't, like, those highest stakes, that you could have even done better? You feel me? Yeah, I do. I, I think I think it kind of went both ways because, like, that energy worked in your favor almost. Yeah, particularly once you've won one or two, then you kind of you kind of get a little swagger. Like, I got it. Like you know what you you know what you're doing. You're you're on your game, and everybody else is coming in cold or you know coldish. Um, so, you know the. The home court advantage definitely kind of works a little bit when you're coming back. But, um, you know, there's like to watch my shows back, there's stuff that I didn't get or that I missed. It's like, I don't know how I didn't get that. Do you but, have the tapes? Uh, I have a friend who recorded it digitally. Like, he, they'll send you a DVD, but they charge you for it. And it's apparently not very good. But I happen to have somebody who I knew just from online who records them all anyway. Like, he's got a. He's got a, like a TV card in his computer, yeah. and he records them all. So he he sent them all to me in HD, just as a friend. So I I do have them floating around on a hard drive somewhere. But yeah, there's any stuff, of them on YouTube. I don't think so. They kind of for a while they kind of let let it let some of that go, but they kind of cracked down on it and got a little bit more litigious about taking stuff off of YouTube. I think particularly because for a long time they didn't have any sort of streaming arrangement and they still don't for new shows but they've they've now got a thing with Netflix where they got a bunch of old shows and old tournaments and stuff on Netflix so I think they kind of wanted to go out and clean up a lot of the stuff that was mm-hmm. floating around out there for free to kind of get their get their streaming rights together and stuff um if you don't mind how did you win a bunch of money on Jeopardy um yeah I, it, it ended up being like 76,000 I think wow yeah <laughs> I didn't even realize that was that much. Did you? Was there like big taxes from that? Um, it's basically just income. Like they give you a ten ninety nine, just like you're an independent contractor. Wow. Um, they withhold. That's an influx of cash right there. Yeah, and they they just send it to you just as a check in the mail. Um, but you have a big ass smirk when you took it down to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> or did you put it? Did you put it right in the account? I tried. I tried to be all just low key about it. No big deal. Jeopardy uh, champ. I tried to just like slide it in through the ATM. Oh shit! <laughs> and the, and the ATM rejected it. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't let you do that. So I, I took it up to the I took it up to the teller, and yeah, I definitely I I had I got some looks and had some explaining to do. Um, You're like, I won Jeopardy, damn it! Don't you watch television? <laughs> Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Yeah, you, don't you know who I am, dude? But, that's uh, crazy. What did you uh, did you like act like it was just no other day and just put it in the account and kept trucking, or like did anything spe- like did you do anything with it? Um, if you don't mind me asking, I uh, <laughs> paid off a bunch of stuff, like paid off my car that I was still paying on at the time, and 
you know, some other debts and stuff, like paid some credit cards off and stuff. I bought a bought a bunch of gear, bought a new laptop, bought my modular system. Mm. Um, Were you a fan bought, of the show? Bought a new guitar. Oh, yeah. I've been a fan of the show since I was a kid. So and you, like, watched it. Is that where you like would learn a bunch of these tidbits and facts or were you just kind of always just like super curious both and, uh, you know like you just soaked in all this information yeah I, I've always been super curious about lots of things too and I'm interested in lots of things so you know I kind of I nerd out in multiple directions for and, sure and soak up a bunch of stuff but uh yeah I'd been trying to get on the show for several years too like the the way the process works, they do. I was going to ask. They you do that. an online test like once a year. It's usually in the spring, sometime, and um, it's fifty questions, all different categories, and it's like real time online. Like you got to be online this night at this time, and that's when the test starts. And it's, it's like, like with a mouse. Yeah, like type. You're typing in answers on your computer. Okay. Um, and it's fifty questions. You get like I don't know eight or ten seconds a piece, and it's like all different questions like would be on the show. And then supposedly word on the street is you got to get 35 out of 50. And then you don't get a score. They never tell you how you do. But there's people who are either just taking it for fun or just watching it just to record. Because there's like we were talking earlier, like any sort of niche interest, there's a nerdy Internet community for it. There's there's a a very active Jeopardy fan online community. So there's people who are like just logging the test and then next day like it shows up on a message board and like here's what the answers were so if you want to go back and check your work and see how you did and whatever um so then each did you take it and you were like oh i think i did pretty good on this uh, i i went through it all multiple times yeah um uh-huh. and then yeah each each year that they do the test then they have a bunch of cities that they're doing live auditions in so if you take the test and you make it through and there's probably more people that pass then they have time to see but so if you make it through the luck of the draw then you get called for a live audition yeah that's what i was thinking like it it's not like just if you do this well you automatically are going to be on the show right there's a bunch of probably scenarios that have to like align for that to happen well and then yeah they'll bring you in for live auditions and they make you take another written test which i think is mostly to prove that you didn't cheat on the online test like have somebody giving answers over your shoulder. Where was that second audition at? Um, it wasn't in L.A., right? No. I I ended up going through all this three times, but the time I ended up getting on was in Cleveland. Um, I did it once in Cleveland, and then That's cool, man. the next time through was in D.C., and then um, the time that I ended up actually getting a call, I, I auditioned in Cleveland. Um, so they make you take another written test, and then they bring you up three at a time, and they have a – a mock game up just with the projector like a like a PowerPoint type of thing and they'll play you through a couple dozen questions and then do a little interview thing have you fill out a bunch of paperwork and take pictures of you and then it's basically don't call us we'll call you maybe and then I bet you were stoked man yeah <laughs> and then you're you're on the list for up to 18 months and then if you don't get called in that 18 months you're welcome to start again damn so, so I, it's like it's not just Ran. I mean, it's some work to get on that show. Yeah, definitely. the The numbers. I don't know if the numbers have changed in the last few years, but they the numbers that they were throwing around when I was on the show was that something like a hundred thousand people a year take the online test, and then they'll see something like two or three thousand for live auditions, and then they'll end up using about four hundred on the show. Damn. 
So I first went through that in 2008, did the live audition, thought it went fine. My 18 months came and went and it's like, okay, well, let's start again. Um, then did it again in 2010 and then did it again in 2012 and then finally got called in 2012. Wow. Did you, uh, so you've been super into Jeopardy when you were a little kid and yeah. all that? Yeah. Well, oh, it's yeah. been on since I was, it's been on since 84. So it's been on since I was like four or five. And How old I, are you? I just turned 40. Really? Yeah. Man. There's a, I, I didn't think you were that old. I thought you were like my age. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm 30. I'll be 33. Oh, okay. The age of Jesus. <laughs> when he made his big debut. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed you were 40. No, did you grow up? Like, were you in like gifted classes and all those things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be to become a chemical engineer is no easy task. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, it was hard. It's, engineering school was hard for sure. And like, I was definitely a guy who pretty much most things came easy to in high school. So I definitely had to learn how to study and learn how to go to school in college. So I, I definitely had some kind of learning curve where it's like oh, shit, this is hard all of a sudden, and I don't know how to deal with stuff being hard. So, Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I had I had a good year or so of college when I, when I kind of crashed pretty hard. But, um, yeah, I figured some stuff out and got through it, and here we are. Our, our school systems are weird because I guess I never really thought about it when I went to school, but I can think back to, like, I don't think – I think – I don't think I'm a dumb person. No. Um, my intelligence and focus has really always been like specific to certain things that I'm like really into. Yeah. Um, but I remember in high school, like just zero effort, didn't really retain much, just kind of showed up. Yeah. And then passed with like C's, you know, but like I don't ever, it, I just remember it being super easy to just get by in high school. Yeah. You know, and I can imagine somebody that was like super into academics and like I want to be really great at high school. Like it wouldn't have been that hard to cruise through with A's and stuff. Like super focused if that was something you were into. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think everybody learns differently too. Oh, everybody does. And and these know, like think... general studies things are just like I don't know how effective they really are. And I think I think schools have learned more about that in the time since we were kids hopefully because you know i mean hopefully that'll go better for our kids than it went for us and everybody else in our generation but yeah i mean it's particularly i don't know i mean i went to i went to big public schools i don't know whether you were a public school kid or a private school kid but no public yeah but you know it's you know there's only so much customizing you can do mm-hmm. within that kind of system and uh you know even if you even if you stretch that as far as they'll let you go which I pretty much did you know it's it's still you know may or may not be preparing you for whatever's coming next and when we were saying like everybody I wish it was like more specialized like you took certain tests that place you in certain things to really pull out somebody's potential in like specific things. Yeah. Cause I was always definitely more on like the creative side. Like if any, something I was super into, I could excel. Yeah. But if I was just 
and that's on me, I guess. Just you know, whatever. But I, I know that's for a lot of people. It, it, it's hard to like to get people to perform really well at stuff they're just not interested. Well, in. and some people are. Some people make good generalists. Like some people can kind of do all the things. Whether they can do them all well or not is another question. But like some people, it's like this is my thing and this is what I'm super into, and I don't really care about anything else. And you got people who are like, well, I can kind of do that a little bit. I can kind of do this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly, that's probably a little bit more where I'm at. I mean, I got you know my stuff that I'm into. I'm really into. But even the stuff I'm not into, I can, I can fake my way through it a little <laughs> bit. You're pretty good at retaining information. Um. Yeah, not as good as I used to be, I don't think. Like, that's one of those things where I've started to notice myself getting a little older. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I'm not quite as, not quite as sharp at some of that stuff than, as you know, compared to how I feel like I maybe was 10 or 15 years ago. But You don't don't have a single gray hair, man. Oh, I got a few. (laughs) They're all, they're all, I don't have my glasses on. But no, um, I guess that something like doing Jeopardy, yeah. like somebody that just retains and can hold on to information, like like documentaries and stuff, and like podcasts with extremely smart people I've listened to, or like watch these documentaries about all this really intri- intriguing stuff, like historical and scientific. Yeah, I love that shit. But I, I, I retaining anything. Yeah, like in the moment, I'm like, oh my god, that's awesome. Like I'll never forget that shit. But and then, then you, and you then, just kind of yeah. let it wash over you and what soaks in, soaks in. and Yeah, and I don't mean to be like that. I think it's some sort of a mental illness. You know? <laughs> well, and I, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it necessarily. ADD, it's like, I meant, more you know. so. Yeah. When did you start playing music? Um, I started playing, I started as a bass player mostly. Um, I first picked up bass when I was like 15, 16, something like that. Did you play in like school band or anything? Um, I tried, I couldn't read well enough. Like I, I was in jazz band for like a week and I, I ran up against my sight reading, sight reading ability, which was not very good at the time and still isn't much better. Um, so I did that a little bit and then kind of had the, the high school garage bands that never got out of the garage and, um, and got into college and then kind of didn't have as much time to play in college and it kind of mostly mostly fell by the wayside because I was busy with school and stuff um but then like my my solo thing I've been doing I first started dabbling with it right after I got out of college I I started you know messing around with making music on computers and stuff and I made one little EP right after I got out of college and then it was like well that was fun I'll never do that again yeah and then (laughs) you know life kind of Life kind of happened, and then things kind of, you know, went full circle, and I ended up, you know, playing bass in a bunch of bands and stuff. And then around about 2010, 2011 or so, I kind of started messing around with computers again and started having some ideas. It's like, oh, this is kind of like that thing I used to do. Maybe I'll bring that back. And it had always kind of been a thing that was in the back of my mind that I'd like to like to get back to a project like that someday. So I've been doing I've been doing one wayness. My first kind of proper one wayness release came out in 2011. So I've been doing that, um, you know, pretty pretty serious on and off since 2002, but pretty seriously and pretty steadily since like 2010 2011. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you see a lot of 
of opposite a lot of times. Like people go to school for a degree like that. Yeah. Get a serious job, have kids, and then like any sort of like music passion or whatever kind of dwindles. Yeah. And like I used to play, but it seems uh, for you, you've kept that passion, and not only have you kept it, but it's grown. Yeah, I think so. Like, which is cool. That's like kind of opposite of what you usually see. You know, I had a bunch of years where it's like I don't have time for music. I don't have time for bands. I don't have time for whatever because like I got out of college and, um, you know, I I graduated from college. And it's end of 2001, so right after 9-11, which is there was a sort of mini recession that happened right then, and there was, like, not a whole lot of hiring going on. It was a hard time to find a job. So I ended up just moving back home with my parents and working retail for a while and was looking for a job and then ended up with a second shift job. And just that kind of lifestyle is, like... So at that point, not a lot of playing going on. Yeah, it's like I, I don't have... Like my my life is just not conducive to getting involved with anything, and I'd like I would go out and play open mics once in a while and meet people and be like, that was really fun. I'm sorry, I have no time to do this. Like uh, you know, I met uh, like that's when I met Tony Kellogg. I met Tony Kellogg playing open mics in like 2002 when we were like 20, 22, 23. Your age too? He's a year younger than me. Yeah, he's pretty close to my age. Um, But you know. Met a bunch of people, and then it, eventually life kind of settled down enough that I could start playing some band in some bands and stuff. And um, had a band with Matt Texter for a while. We had a band, really? we had a band called the Moralists. What would you play in that band? I played bass in that band. Was it kind of the country? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, we were oh, doing yeah. like old Hank Senior stuff and <laughs> some of Matt's songs. Texter's and, a beast. Yeah, he is. So um, that he's, was, he's about your age too, right? Yeah, I think he's a year. I want to say he's a year older than me. But yeah, he's he and I are about the same age too. That's cool though. Um, Matt's like that too. Like he's kind of got a career. Yeah. And then you get he gets you get like what you were just saying. You get to a point to where like, okay, things are kind of stable. Now I can kind of so some free time work on some music. Right. Um, then on the other end of that, where like I had this love for it. Yeah. And like just put career and finances and all this shit on the back burner. And just hit music, 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 and uh, it's been rough, kind of. Yeah. And uh, this last year or so, I've kind of put okay. Finally, I love music, fucking writing all the time, doing stuff all the time. But like, get my life together around the music, right? <laughs> and then maybe the music can go farther. Well, uh, I've at some I've point. definitely I definitely pulled back some in the last two or three years. Um, with the with the tunes, with the music. Yeah, I mean. In in some ways, I'm doing more, but um, as far as traveling and going on the road and and stuff like that, I'm I'm doing a bit less than I was. Like I think 2015, I think was was probably my busiest year as far as going out and playing shows. And I played just like solo and related stuff. I played like 50 some shows that year. Um, wow. So yeah, uh, so, one like, wayness. Yes, it's a solo thing. Yeah. And then uh, anybody listening that doesn't know. Adam also plays in the LAC, right? Lower East Side Connection. Um, have you guys slowed down too? We're kind of—I don't want to say slowed down. It's just sort of a transitional point. Like we had—we made a record earlier this year. Um, Trevor Hooster was home, and we did a bunch of recording with him. Did some videos, right? Yeah, we did uh, two or three videos for this new. I guess two videos so far from from this new one. Um, but that came out back in the spring. So, you know, we had, you know, really f- 
furious lot of activity. I think Trevor was home like last year this time, so that's when we first went in the studio with him and, you know, did a lot of work to get that project out and, you know, making videos for that and then had a really busy summer of playing. And now we're at the point where it's kind of like, well, we've – that arc has kind of – Finished. You just did a big Halloween show, right? We, yeah, we just did a big Halloween show at PACA last week, which was a lot of fun. I saw some uh, video, and it looked really badass. Yeah, it was uh, It was a fun night. Um, you know, there were a lot of events going on, so it was kind of – kind of weren't sure what the turnout was going to be like, but it ended up really healthy. And, you know, we played, and Oh No, It's Mustard Gas played, and um, Optimistic Apocalypse oh, sure. played, and uh, some, solo, some solo sets too. Were they doing that in the, in the back room at Packer now? We used both the back and the front. We used the front, the theater space for the solo sets. Um, oh, wow. So you had like a two-stage thing going yeah, on. Yeah, so we had like a two-stage thing going on. And then, yeah, back in the dance studio was where we had the, the big stage where we played. You guys all had the crazy costumes. Yeah, and we didn't have we didn't have a real theme this year. We've done we've done the theme thing a couple times. Like we did Men in Black a couple of years ago. You guys, always, you guys were like the Rook Halloween band for a while. We uh, a couple of years straight, we ended up doing the Rook Halloween thing, and then last year we ended up not having a Halloween show at all. I don't think, because um, I want to say two or three years ago was the last, the last we did the Rook Halloween thing. But we're doing uh, we're doing New Year's Eve at the Rook this year. We're doing New Year's Eve at the Rook with Chestnut Grove. Nice. Is, Are they from? They're from Philly area. Okay. So, yeah, if anybody's listening to this and hasn't heard the LEC, you guys got a lot of kick-ass videos. Yeah, we got, on YouTube, we got right? fun videos on YouTube. We got, um, I think, four four or five releases now, the last last two of which I'm on. I, I joined that band in 2014, so I've been in that band for, I guess, five years now already. Is wow. Pat... Pat Roach, right? Yeah. Is he back in the Pat, band? Pat is back, yeah. when um, He was Keys initially, correct? No, he was bass. Really? Yeah, he's... Well, he's kind of our producer too, so he's always kind of contributed extra guitar and extra keys. And oh yeah, stuff. you're right. You're right. There was a keyboardist that was Pat Troster. Okay, right. And he moved, correct? Yeah, he Pat Troster moved to I think it's Dallas, somewhere in Texas, to go to grad school, and he's still down there most of the time. He's come back. He's he sat in with us once or twice when he's home. Um, but yeah, Pat Roach. Pat Roach lives out in Jamestown, mm-hmm. and you I've know. been up to his spot to uh, to do some vocals. Oh, to do vocals, yeah, with with some Johnny, some of Johnny's st- oh, solo okay. stuff. Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, he he was the original bass player, and a couple of years ago, he was just kind of like really busy with day job stuff, and his kids were younger. He's got he's got two boys that are I think I want to say they're eight and six now, something like that. Um, that's cool. He's maybe, playing with you guys. Maybe again. nine and seven. So it was when his kids were real young, and he was like had a lot of really intense day job stuff happening, and that's like an hour commute to get down from Jamestown down here. So he was just finding it really hard to get down here. So he ended up leaving for a few years. He was still, he was still kind of in the band, and he'd sit in every once in a while, and he was still kind of our producer and involved in the writing process and stuff. But he's a he's a um, he's a talented dude. He is, yeah. Even uh, his little studio, I don't know if he's still there, but uh, little basement house studio. Oh, yeah. Yep, still in the same spot. Yeah, he he did some uh, – we were super efficient when we did some vocals up there. It was super quick and, like, easy. Yeah, he, worked, he, he works fast. Know, yeah, he seemed to know what he was doing. Um, LEC's 
definitely like a hip hop funk right um, band, and that's got the Head Brothers. Yep, Chris and Dan. Chris and Dan. Um, Johnny Evans does vocals, and then Tony. How you say his last name? Facciano. Fach. I always call him Foch. Tony Fach. I, I always call him <laughs> Foch too. Uh, and he put some solo shit out recently too. Yeah, he just had a new video that just came out just before Halloween, and we learned that up real quick and played it for the Halloween show. That's um, awesome. And that's actually Chris Head produced that track for him. Chris has been making a lot of beats and doing a lot of just. Yeah, he used Fruity Loops, right? I. Th- think so we at one point we had talked because i wanted to do some like beck oh okay type, like hip-hop yeah folk crossover and we had chatted lightly but it just never it yeah. came about but he i think at that time he was like yeah i use fruity loops What's yeah up? that sounds that sounds right and yeah. i think that's what johnny uses too when johnny makes beats and stuff yeah that shit's cool you guys are really good you Thanks. guys bring a lot of energy and have done really well at, like the a lot of the the hippie festivals that are in the area. Yeah, like we're not we're not really a jam band. Like pretty much everything we do is pretty. I mean, the solos are open, but like there's not a whole lot of like unstructured sections in what we do. But it's kind of a nice crossover, though, but, because you got. But hit. the but the jam band people like us, and like you know, we all we end up playing Chafee's pretty much every year since I've been in the band, at least. And, Bring the hype and always go over pretty well there. And we've played <laughs> some of the other. Uh, Sort of, sort of jam-oriented festivals, and, and, and it, had had pretty good results at that. In that band, you do synth and keys. Yeah. Um, do you do any samples in the LAC? Very little, really. Um, yeah, it's pretty much all like it's pretty much all pretty straight keyboard playing. And actually, there's one there's one tune on the new record where Pat plays keys and I play bass. That's pretty badass. Yeah, they. Um, I I wasn't at a practice, and they. Uh, they wrote it, and Pat had brought some of his synth stuff down from Jamestown, and they kind of wrote it around this this synth line of his. And then I got back to the next practice, and I'm like, okay, show me what you're doing, show me what you're doing, let me figure this out. And then I just kind of had this moment of like, eh, never mind, just just do what you're doing. <laughs> I'll just play bass, and it'll be great. And it's uh, it ends up being one of my favorite things to play. Bass? Yeah, the, just the, the one that I play bass on, I mean. Yeah, I, there was... Bass is badass. Like I had for a while, I had like a GNL. Um, oh, okay. That I was doing like some home studio stuff with, and like a like a Fender copy GNL. Yeah, it yeah. looked like it, but it had like three double humbuckers, and there was like, oh, okay. There was like a multiple switches for each one. Yeah, it was super beastie of a bass, and uh, those GNLs are great. Yeah, and I loved it, and I and I ended up selling it at some point just because. It wasn't my main thing, and I needed maybe some other gear or right. some drugs. No, <laughs> I don't remember specifically, but uh, but I think back now, like I wish I had that that bass because I go in the guitar center sometimes and I'll plug in like a nice four string. Yeah, five strings throw me off, but I love that that funky just like staying in the pocket and yeah. just laying it down. It's so fun to play bass. It is, and and Pat and I are very different as bass players too. Like he's. He's a lot busier than I am, and I'm I'm more sort of a. He's uh, I'm not a very, quote unquote, funky bass player. Like I'm more just sort of like a pocket groove kind of player, yeah. and he's which you both know, have their perks at certain times. Yeah, so it's it's, you know, it's interesting, it's interesting being able to switch off, and it's interesting having. It's cool from a band standpoint to have multiple guys in the band who can do multiple things too. Like it, it kind of opens us up that like, you know, Chris can bring in a beat that he made at home, and then we'll reverse engineer it and figure out how to play it as a band. Or, 
You guys ever use drum samples behind what you do? Um, it's something we haven't really used it much yet. It's something that we're working on. Um, Chris got a, a pad, a little, a little MPC pads to put next to his hi-hat. Um, he's still kind of getting up to speed on, you know, it's pretty cool though. What, what sounds he wants to put on it and how we're going to incorporate it. But we've, we've, we brought it into practice. It hasn't, uh, it hasn't showed up at a gig yet, but it's, uh, we played some shows, uh, I guess it was the Halloween show at the Rook we did a couple of years ago with uh, with Gnosis. I think I, I think I might have been there for that. Yeah, and uh, Sam, when he was in Gnosis, w- used to use a lot of stuff like that. So, And that was kind of one of the things that, that kind of made us go like, oh, that would be really nice to, to bring that in because it gets that really like... You can start getting to like the electronic stuff. That really stuff. deep hip hoppy kick and stuff like that. Yeah. That you know, an acoustic drum kit is great, but it's a different it's a different vibe than than having that like super sub bassy. I like Gnosis. Yeah, I like the. I used to be real big into like the jam band scene in general. Yeah, um, and then kind of ended up at the folk spectrum or folk end of things, but. And bluegrass and all that stuff, but I remember when I was first going to shows, like I loved Lotus, uh-huh. um, the dancey, the really dancey stuff, and like soundtrack, yeah, tri- so yeah Sector soundtrack Nine. Sector Nine and stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's that's the end of jam band stuff that works more for me. Like, like I, Jim I've, Cotta, were you a fan of them? Eh. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Yeah, I just like I, I, but I agree with you. I like that aspect of acoustic drums but with like drum samples yeah which can be difficult too you got to be a tight band to pull that off oh yeah to be because you're playing live to a metronome basically well and well, that's there's some there's some stuff on some of the new lec stuff where i'm doing some sequenced stuff and everybody's got to be right on the money and yeah but it's like nobody else is on a clock so i'm basically i'm tapping off my clock to what chris is doing and it's like Okay, we got to make it through this four these four bars with neither of us speeding up or slowing down. Is he pretty good at doing that? He's pretty good at doing that. Um, you know, we have our nights where it, it shit's getting wonky. <laughs> yeah, where it gets a little <laughs> wonky. But that's so easy to tell though, because that's the hard part when you start implementing yeah. stuff like that, and anybody's off, it starts sounding real like jumbled. Yeah, it can like, train wreck real quick. Yeah. So, but you know, it's. Yeah, that the chance for disaster is kind of exciting sometimes too, because it's like, I'm sure you know you've got your songs. It's like I've played this song 600 times, and mm-hmm. you know there's there's no there's no adventure in playing this song for me anymore. And there's 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 some you know stuff of mine, stuff of LEC's, stuff of other bands I've been in. It's like, yep, this one again, okay. <laughs> but there's stuff that's like. Wonder how this part will go today, or like, oh, I hope, I hope this, hope this, hope we pull this off all right, and stuff like that. So I've run down that road. Yeah, you have, you know, when you book. Um, there was a couple years there. I was doing close to two hundred shows a year. Wow, and when ninety eight percent of them were solo shows, uh, when I was, um, playing three hour slots. Yeah, like. And I was playing pretty much all original. And, like, that's pretty much like playing every song that I know. Yeah. That I wrote. And, like, I don't love every song that I wrote. So there, it's hard. It was hard. It got real difficult sometimes because even the songs that I love to play, mm-hmm. it's like, how much do I really love to play them by myself? Right. Like, so it got, it was, um, 
But there was definitely nights like that where it's like, okay, not only am I playing this song again, but like I don't really like it that much, but I need to fill this amount of time. Right. Um, but yeah, the running through the motions comes into play. And uh, it, it's easier when you're solo, though, a lot of times because you can, uh, you know, I can add this random verse that doesn't exist or, <laughs> or do some weird shit. And I've tried that in Ghost. Yeah. Um, Smiling the Ghost, but like Jason Wolver and Adam McKillop are in that project. Uh, they start looking at each other like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, I'm spicing it up. They'll follow you, though. <laughs> yeah. Those guys They're are pretty good, good players. It. They are. Um, so, where am I going? I appreciate you doing this with me today. I've, I've had a, a weird migraine all day and kind of just been, like, zoned out. Yeah. Um, but I really have been wanting to do this podcast with you for a while, and I'm glad that you came to do it. Yeah, I'm glad we got to do this. Um. What else do you want to talk about? What's life? What's going on? Like, uh, what's going on with you in life in general right now? Uh, getting get mar- deep, bro. Getting married next year. Ren wow. and I are getting married next year. It's um, a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're we're real happy about it. Next next June, kids are getting big. Oscar just turned three. Wow. How old's uh, How old's your little guy now? Is he? He, according to him, he's four and three quarters. Four and three quarters. <laughs> I, I was be, thinking. I was thinking he's got to be at least four, but I'm not sure he's quite five yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm right on. Okay. He'll be five in uh, this month, actually, on the seventeenth. Oh, okay. Yeah, November. Yeah. Um. He, his birthday is crazy because he'll do something with me, yeah. and then usually he'll do something with like my parents. Usually that's at the same time. Yeah. Um, but then he has his mom. And then her parents, uh, well, his mom's grandparents are split up. Oh, okay. So he's got so much. So usually he'll have like four birthdays yeah. by the end of this. You know. Well, that's that's kind of <laughs> that, like, that's how Christmases get at our house because we've got we got yours, mine, and ours. We've each got a daughter from previous relationships, and then we got Oscar together. So we got like three total, huh? Uh, yeah. Three total. Wow. So Stella's Stella's eleven. Una's about the Una will be eight in December, and then uh, Oscar just turned three. It's a busy house. It is a busy house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're barely gray. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've both. So we've got like you know, both of the two girls will have stuff with their other parents, and you know, we got you know my my mom and dad and Ren's mom, and then their other parents' parents, and so it it, uh, it turns into. It turns into like you know seven, eight, nine Christmases by the time we get through all oh, of it, wow. and that's a little much. And then Una's birthday is right after Christmas too, so it, yeah, it turns into yeah the the end of the year is always just sort of a sort of a white knuckle when thing all that these we holidays through. Yeah, like Elliot turns five before uh, the seventeenth. Yeah, his mom's birthday is this month, um, and then. There's Christmas, Thanksgiving, and he loves Halloween. Oh, uh-huh. so he's diehard. I mean, he wants to do Halloween every day of the week. <laughs> you know, he's like one of those kids at this point. But yeah, the end of the year with all the holidays gets crazy. So, what was he for Halloween? Um, he went to Zubu as a stormtrooper. Okay. Um, and then I think trick or treating. He's going trick or treating with me next year. Oh, okay. Um, I worked that out with his mom because yeah, yeah. she his her family's super into Halloween, and he and he. Um, so they all went this year. I didn't go. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I think he also, I think he went as Spider-Man. I don't know how, but he's like super, me and him watched like half a Chucky. 
yeah. uh, Child's Play. Uh-huh. And he freaked out and like, we're never going to do that again. His <laughs> mom was super pissed. But he's like, since then, he's always talking about like, he likes the characters. Yeah. Um, and he came up to me the other day and he's like, I want to be Michael Myers for Halloween. But mom's like said no. I'm like, how the hell do you know who Michael Myers is? You know? And then he's also, he was the one that told me that Joaquin Phoenix was going to be He's like, Dad, did you hear? And this was like when he was like three and a half. Yeah. When the fir- trailers first started coming out with that. He's like, Dad, uh, did you hear that Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the new Joker? I'm like, did you just say oh Joaquin Phoenix? So he, 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 when he was fur real little, um, ukulele, toy guitars, little drum sets, he yeah. was obsessed. And now he's much more into like characters and role play. Oh, okay. Um, and like the superhero stuff. Oscar's Oscar's big thing is dinosaurs. Oh yeah. 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 Elliot. I remember there was a time where he was kind of stoked on dinosaurs, but never got yeah. some kids get into it. Yeah. He's he, like the dinosaur thing has, has lasted and like, and he's three. Yeah. Just turned just turned three in October. I read an article recently that like it said something about if your kids at this age and into dinosaurs, like he's going to be smart. <laughs> and like I was, su- was, I was super into dinosaurs when I was a kid, and I don't remember like three time Jeopardy champ. Yeah, and I don't remember at all what, coming together. At what age I was into dinosaurs? I feel like it was a little bit older than that. I, yeah, I that's feel young. like I was maybe more like like five, six, seven when I was super into dinosaurs, but like had you know lots of books and stuff like that. To what degree? Like, is he? familiar with specific dinosaurs and like has knowledge on them or to what degree yeah i mean he doesn't he doesn't have like well he's he i understand he's three yeah i mean he doesn't have like too many too many super obscure facts about any of them yet but like he can definitely name dinosaurs that didn't exist when we were kids like wow. i feel like there's so many more dinosaurs than when we were kids like when we were kids there were like eight dinosaurs and that's yeah. it but now there's all these like now there's all these different ceratops variants that are like and oh, he's, and he's oh this kind one's of got slightly different horns and yeah his he's got he's got shows that he that he likes to watch that are all about dinosaurs and he's got his like that's badass lots and lots of dinosaur books and all kinds of plastic dinosaurs and it's like we cannot leave the house without a dinosaur in each hand and it's usually the orange T-Rex in one hand and the green T-Rex in the other hand and he decided the other day that the green T-Rex was the daddy T-Rex <laughs> and the orange T-Rex was the mommy T-Rex. That's awesome. Man. And then they were they were kissing goodbye to all the baby T-Rexes who were lined up <laughs> on the arm of the futon. He sounds like he's going to be a smart little guy. He's he's an awesome kid. He's my bud. Um I've I, Elliot's my only child. Yeah. And uh I nothing against having girls, but I think when they started getting like 12, 13, 14, I would be like, "Oh shit." Um I like I like having a little boy a lot. Yeah. It's really cool. You know? No, we we love our girls and yeah, nothing we love girls. our boy too. Yeah. Um, you get you're getting both the be- uh both of both worlds. <laughs> 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 the best of both worlds. Yeah, definitely. Um so you guys live in Erie though, even though you commute to Meadville. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Yo, you yeah, you live over by me. I do, yeah, right around the corner from you, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just did a big makeover on the house. Oh yeah. Uh, it's like if you look over that way, it's right on the other. You live up by Ralph, right? I don't know where Ralph lives. I think you live right beside him, which is funny. Which oh, I really? didn't, which I didn't know. Oh, we're talking about uh, Ralphie, the bass player. Oh, right, right. I forget his last name. Ralph Reitinger. Ralph Reitinger. I had to say his last name. Um, 
but I saw him one day, and I think when you told me where you lived, like it's right down the way. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm at yeah. I'm at Seventh and Cascade, so just up around the corner from you somewhere, I think. Yeah, I'm on Sixth and Liberty. Oh, okay. But one of the guys at my house uh, just did like the door bright red and like yellow pillars, and oh, okay. you can see it. Yeah. Like, um, a lot of those houses are, are kind of run down a little bit right there, and that house is yeah. like popping now. That's an all right neighborhood. Yeah. The kids, dude, kids are crazy. There was like this little kid fight club going on. Oh, in the park? Have you noticed that? I no. It's uh, weird stuff happens in that park though. Like yeah, it's shady like, business. Feral gangs of children roaming in uh I've roaming seen in Gridley Park. Circling up yeah. and like random boy, girl, whatever, fist fighting. With like I've, the kids chanting. I've seen that like I've I've like had my phone out of my pocket thinking that's about to break out because like I mean, particularly if I've got my kids at the park with me, like I don't. Yeah, things I don't, are cool with you, that. probably. Yeah, I mean, whatever. But, um, but yeah, I've I've seen I've seen that like about to break out, and and then things kind of defused a little bit. The thing that's weird is I'll see kids, like maybe a little older than Elliot, not yeah. quite his age, but like six and seven year olds, and like the sun's coming down, and these kids are running around, and there's no parents in sight. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, like, dude, I don't think I'd ever, like, next year, just be like, oh, you know, yeah, see you later, bud. I just don't foresee. Well, that and happen. like, unlike Stella, our oldest is 11, and she'll like, she'll like, she'll like ask if she can walk down to the park, and I'll be like, oh, I don't know, kiddo. <laughs> so I'm not crazy by thinking. No, that, you're like, definitely, you're definitely not crazy, and like. We hold, he holds my hand the whole way to if we're going to Dollar General or something or yeah. he holds my hand the entire way. Yeah. And he and he likes that. And like I couldn't imagine just sending him out to go play. I've seen and like, kids run around in diapers though. I mean when I was when I was that age, like I I was born in Titusville and we lived lived in Titusville and then in Pleasantville until I was like nine. And we used to live down a block down the street from my elementary school that I went to from like kindergarten through third or fourth grade. And I, I definitely, when I was like five, six, seven, maybe more like six, seven, eight, but I would definitely like go the the block down the street to the playground and like play football with my friends on the playground and you know times are do, different. Do I whatever guess. in the playground and you know there would be like summer programs on at the at the at the playground where it would be like see you <laughs> see you yeah. this afternoon i remember i don't remember the age but yeah there was a certain radius that like if i was i could go like one block over yeah but if my mom or dad caught me like more than that and they showed up like i was in, yeah i was well and and i mean i don't want to be one of those people who like romanticizes the oh when we were when we were your age <laughs> we used to wander the streets and yeah throw rocks at each other and hit each other with sticks and you know it's i could think back though like some of like throwing rocks at trains and how yeah. mean the kids were like i don't really want my son out doing that no kids were mean the like, kids are still mean but like when we were kids kids were mean yeah yeah i were and you know, I think the, you know, there's there's pros and cons to all of it, but you know, I think, I don't know. It we seems, don't need a fight it club. It seems like no, we don't, we don't need a six year old fight club. We in don't the park. need children's fight club in Gridley Park. <laughs> oh man, I'm firmly anti children's fight club in Gridley Park. 
Yeah, there's I seen cops kind of circling. Oh yeah, they def- um, they, they definitely for the kids. They definitely circle. Um, other than that, it's a decent neighborhood. Oh yeah, and I mean the children ninjas. <laughs> and I mean before we've been in our house for like three, three and a half, four years. Um, and before that, lived up on 10th Street. So we've been kind of you know within within a few blocks for. I've been for like 15 years now, so I, I'm I'm real fond of the neighborhood. I mean, it's got every every neighborhood in Erie has its good parts and its bad parts, but yeah. When I moved to Erie, like I said in 2012, um, through a halfway house or whatever, and then I got an apartment downtown, mm-hmm. and then I lived above Sullivan's, and then I lived with Johnny and C Brown, yeah, over on Poplar and 26. Yep. So like I've lived to pretty much all right downtown, yeah. Yeah, um, I remember I used to see you walking around like down like Lower State Street. Yeah, probably. must have been when you were living down by Sullivan. Yeah, I lived in three places that were right around yeah. there. Um, yeah, I used to see you walking like down by the art museum and like around that, around that, yeah, part of, around that part of town. I still do once in a while. Yeah, um, but but yeah, I don't mind. Like my girlfriend lives in Northeast. Oh, okay. Um, and she. I, I sh- we talked about you know I showed her some apartments or something like maybe you should move it th- and she's like I'm not moving to downtown Erie I'm like I don't know I've been here for a while I don't really foresee me leaving Northeast is weird I mean I'm not trying to talk down on Northeast but like I used to work in Northeast like shortly after I got out of college and um I learned real quickly the answer to are you from around here is I'm from Erie <laughs> and like when you live in Erie you consider Northeast, like, we think we've annexed Northeast, that they're sort of like a part of our whole thing. Yeah. But if you're from Northeast, Erie is a destination. Like, Erie Erie is a day trip, and that is definitely not a part of where you live. Yeah, there, it's, I, it's, I, I see it's a disconnect. Weird, yeah, it's a weird, it was a weird cultural thing in the couple of years that I was working out there. Like, it's definitely... Erie thinks Northeast is part of Erie, but Northeast definitely does not think Erie is part of Northeast. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that um, because I remember a year or two ago, um, I'd go out to Northeast to buy things that I probably shouldn't have been buying, uh-huh. but it, it was nothing to like, oh, I got hit Northeast. Yeah. You know? Um, but like for her to, to come out here and then go home, it's yeah. like- It's like all it's in like, one day? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She and she has to take her daughter all the way out to yeah. school in like um like Waterford, I think, too. Oh jeez. That's where her dad lives. But uh Yeah, so she's always driving a lot more than me. But I've lived downtown to where like I could ride a bike or walk or do whatever. Yeah. Um Well, and it's nice having stuff that's at least kinda walkable. Like Yeah. You know, it, there's there's major life functions that we can't really walk to or walk to in any real good way. Like there's still there's still no real proper grocery store downtown and stuff like that that are you know Usually definitely clo- still issues. Closest thing is the uh the ghetto mart. Uh, right. <laughs> That's where I always went there today. But yeah, you're like the Dollar Generals and like all these little um yeah. like bodega type stores. Yeah. They're so expensive. No, oh, and it's and so limited. But uh you know, at least we got like the corner pizza place and, you know Yeah. And stuff like that that's like, well, you know, we can, you know, walk over to the corner and get pizza or walk up the street and get ice cream or things like that. It's like, I, I would miss stuff like that if I lived out in the suburbs and you know, I, I'm a city guy. Yeah. I, uh, maybe one day I'd like to get a place kind of like, 
outside of the city to yeah. where I could commute in. And it wasn't too far, but I had that like out, that country vibe. Yeah. But right now with everything I got going on and, and trying to not be so isolated, I don't mind living downtown. And yeah. I couldn't imagine really moving out. Like I said, I've been downtown Erie for seven, I think it's seven years now. Mm-hmm. And I've really, I've really dug it. You know, I've oh, never, yeah. I've seen some shady shit happen. Um, yeah, but it happens everywhere. Yeah. It's just I, when you get when you get more concentrated people, you know that that five percent or two percent of people that are going to cause trouble. It's like, well, there's two hundred of those in your on your block instead of one. Yeah, I lived in when I lived in Allentown, in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Like the the uh, little yes. back end of yeah. Mount Washington. Um, I thought you meant Allentown. Allentown. No, 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 no. Like when I lived in Pittsburgh, um, I lived at a bunch of different places, but I lived in the back of Mount Washington. Yeah. And like two, three blocks down, it got real sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then back into like Carrick and Mount Oliver and all that stuff. Sure. And I used to frequent those places all the time when I was partying in Pittsburgh and up to no good. But And then when I lived in Columbus, I lived, anybody familiar with Columbus, it was like Cleveland, like 250 Cleveland Ave. Something like that. And it was super bad. Yeah. So when people say that, like, Erie... Because there's some messed up shit that happens in Erie. Oh, sure. Um, And surprisingly, a lot of, like, bank robberies and murders and stuff like that 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 happen a lot. But compared to some of, like, the actual super bad neighborhoods I've lived in in Pittsburgh and Columbus, I I just don't think it's nearly as bad. Well, it's like I work in Meadville, and our, our parking garage will have graffiti on it sometimes and it'll have like with air quotes gang graffiti on it <laughs> like oh that's adorable <laughs> yeah it's just you're in a gang that's so cute yeah i don't think there's crazy gangs maybe not as is bad no in larger cities it is in meadville <laughs> no no this is not a thing um anyway I and mean, we were running out of time here, bro. Yeah, I think they're going to kick us out of the library. Yeah, we did. Uh, we jumped onto the Idea Lab to do the podcast tonight for a night. It's nice and quiet in here. It is. And it's, uh, and I'm I've got my back to the library, so I kind of keep forgetting where we are. Yeah, well, anytime you see me looking out, it's because I'm just people walking around. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I. This is uh, any afternoon. I'd probably podcast from the house because I've got like the house to myself. Uh huh. But I got some roommates, and in the evening. People would come home and like you're. I'm not being quiet for this. So, uh, <laughs> so this has been like maybe the evening spot. Um, well, and I've been I've been wanting to come down and try out this place. Like I came through, like I had a I had a library card from when I was still in high school, which was obviously no longer good. So I had to like come down and get a new library card, and I wanted to scope this out and scope out you know where they got the 3D printers and all of that stuff. And the day I was down here, there was some dude working on his guitar riffs in here and stuff. So really? it's like, yeah. So you it's, can do uh, whatever in here. Apparently they got, yeah, a green they got the green screen. Yeah. I've, I've definitely got things. I mean, I got, you know, my recording set up at home. That's, that's decent, but it's, it's not always real permanent. Like, cause a lot of, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but you know, a lot of, a lot of what I use in, in the studio is the same as the stuff I use for the live rig. So if I've just played a show, I've basically torn down the entire studio to go play the For show. Sure. So, um, use like a laptop and right. Yeah. Cause I've got like my, my interface. That's kind of like the bigger version of the interface that you've got. I've got the, the rack mount size, one of those. So I got one of those in a rack. It's a beast. 
and I set the laptop up on top of that, and you know I've got you know a pair of monitor speakers and stuff like that at home, and you know store got, storage for all my stuff. But um, I want to hear one wayness. Definitely, I think I've heard some tracks. I'll have to. I meant to. I meant to grab you a copy of the new CD, but I I forgot to grab it on my way down. I'll I'll bring you one by the house this week. So, Adam Holquist. That's me. Yeah, member of the LEC. Jeopardy champ. That's me. And uh, One Wayness. Also, also got a project called Embrol, which is a duo project of me and my friend Charles Schreiner from Indianapolis. Um, is that like electronic thing? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, he's got a project, his solo project's called Rocket Music. Um, we did a bunch of albums together. We did two, three or, yeah, two or three together as, as just One Wayness and Rocket Music. And then kind of realized, like, oh, this isn't really, this isn't you doing your solo thing over there and me doing my solo thing over here. It's it's a band of the two of us. So we kind of that's bad. Almost decided like a postal to, service. Yeah, decided to you know give it a give it its own project name. So we uh, renamed that project Embril. So we've done um, we've done four studio albums and a bunch of EPs really? and live stuff. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't hip to that. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to hook you up with some of that too. anything online yeah um all the one wayness stuff is all at one wayness.bandcamp.com um several of them are also on uh itunes spotify streaming service of your oh, choice yeah. um embril stuff is at uh embril.bandcamp.com embril.org is embril's website one wayness.com is mine embril is e-m-b-r-a-l lec nice. stuff is on bandcamp I think it's the lec.bandcamp.com. All that stuff is on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all the streaming stuff. Lots of videos on on uh, YouTube. I know LEC has a ton of kick-ass videos. Yeah, we got some fun ones, um, some of which are from before my time in the band and several of which are from uh, since I've joined. So, yeah, lots of those. And I, I've got some... I don't have like video videos, but I got lots of performance videos and uh, stuff like that too. So go check those out too. All right. Thank you for being on Six One More Fly, Adam. Most we'll definitely. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.